Um, Talk Radio. I guess this is us. Live from Washington, D.C., it's quintessential listening. Poetry Online Radio. QLPOR, as it's widely known, features a bevy of poets, spoken word artists, and live poetry readings with best-selling authors. Your host is Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Hello, everyone. My special guest is a legend in the world of poetry. Rick Lupert is his name. Since 1990, he has been involved with poetry in Los Angeles, a three-time Pushcart Prize nominee, a Best of the Net nominee, and a 2017 Ted Slate Award recipient. He founded Poetry Superhighway and has published 26 poetry collections. Please join me in welcoming to the program, Rick Lupert. Hello, Rick. Hi, uh, Michael. I'm, I'm so excited that you're a doctor because I wanted to ask you about my condition. <laughs> well, I've not been licensed yet. <laughs> but, but, but don't Go tell ahead. the board that I've been using it <laughs> for 30 years. <laughs> don't tell the board. All right, the medical board. All right, sir. Let's begin this poetic journey. You've seen a lot. You've done a lot. What is poetry to you? What is it? That's a great question, and um, I, you know, I, I, I think the key words there are to me because I think that different people will, as I'm sure you know, having asked this question so many times, uh, have have different answers. To me, there's kind of a technical definition, which is I think it's about the economy of language. It's about saying as much as much as you can with as few words as possible, and just from a as an artist, for me, it's, it's my way to uh, interpret, filter, regurgitate even the world that I'm experiencing um, uh, in, a, in a way that, that helps provide context or sense to it, at least for me. Wow. Regurgitate. To spew it out. To get it out of your system in one way or another. Tell me more about the regurgitation process. Well, I, I, I would expect that uh, question from a doctor again. Um, <laughs> I, um, you know, it's, we, it's, it's about uh, we, we all have our own filter through which we perceive the world. And that filter, in particular for me, when I'm outside of my regular element, goes into, goes into overdrive when I'm seeing things that aren't you know, aren't part of my norm. You know, if, if you're traveling somewhere and there's a street sign or something that's, that's worded in, in, a, in a way that's not the way that you're familiar with, it's, you know, to me, my mind just starts thinking, my God, what could that mean? And I, I start to take things literally or uh, festively even, and, and I, I regurgitate that. I spit that back out with, with my own idea of what that might mean. And so that's not just street signs, that's interactions with people, that's world events, that's uh, you know, advertisements, it's all, all those kinds of things. They come in one end, as it were, and go out the right. other. Right, I understand. So why is it 
that we continue to do what we do. Why do you believe that poetry is important? Another really good question. I, 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 can, I know that it's important to me because mm-hmm. it's the way that I'm able to, to again, make sense of, of what it is that I'm experiencing. Um, it's, it's the art form that makes sense to me. And it may not make sense to everybody. You know, it right. may not yes. be important to, to, to everyone. Uh, in fact, there's, you know, there may, maybe, maybe in the last couple of decades, there's been a renaissance or resurgence of poetry. But mm-hmm. for, for a lot of people, a lot of people, when they hear the word poetry, there's, there's a trepidation that comes along with it because they have a memory of learning maybe a particular kind of poetry in school, which, which they might have perceived as not, I don't know if it's too simplistic to say fun or interesting or accessible, mm-hmm. you know, and, and there's so many of us out there who are, are aware of that and who've made an effort just for our own artistic needs to create things which, which are more accessible and interesting. And, and it's not that I, I don't mean to say or decry all the poetry that came before uh, uh, or or anyone who's writing that style today. I just think there's a large group of people who aren't engaged in poetry because that's all they know and it didn't work for them, you know? Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. As you think about your past growing up, whenever you started the whole poetry, thinking about poetry again, what was an early experience where you learned that poetic language had power. Hmm. Well, I, I think, you know, I, I think it came from when I started to share things that I, I that I was writing that I, I w- wasn't sure were poetry, and that I, I wasn't bold enough to label poetry. I was writing things down, observations, things that might have been funny. And I, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. And I, I went to a place called the Poetry Circle, which was an event happening at a venue called the Iguana Cafe here in Southern California, which no longer exists. Um, and, and the idea was that you would just share something that you've written sitting in a circle with other people, and they would they would give you feedback. And I was sure I would show up to this, and they would say, They'd listen to what I'd written and go, oh, no, no, that's not poetry. And then I would know, and then I could move on and do something else with my life. But mm-hmm. it, it turned out that what I wrote uh, resonated with them. And, mm-hmm. and, I, and I have to be honest, I wasn't reading a lot of poetry at that time, if, if any. This was, I was just trying to figure out what it is that I was doing. Right. Uh, but because of the encouragement that I received from that group of people – uh, it, I, I started going to poetry readings and, and, and realized that what I was writing was resonating with, with people in, in a way that, that, that was good. And, and then in turn, I became exposed to lots of other poets who were reading and, and writing stuff that I really enjoyed. And so, you know, the idea of, of poetry that has power or resonance that you asked about it's a two-way street. It's it's both. You know, it, the question is, can I create something that that works, as well as is there material out there that I just, as a fan of the art form, 
will can encounter to to enjoy listening to and reading myself and and that's mm. that's when it all started for me now as you think about your body of work what are some of the predominant themes that you write about well i write a lot of travel poetry you might you might have in my bio there that i've written 26 books of poems yes. Yes. i'd say i'd say i'd say 20 of them are are travel uh so you know written while on vacation you know, like literally written while heading there on the plane, while there and on the way home, and and then that's it. I don't travel and then write about it later. It all happens on the spot. And so, you know, there's it's a lot of it is about the experiences of being in new places, being a stranger in a strange land. Because like I, I mentioned earlier, that's when my my uh, filter just goes on overdrive because I'm experiencing all kinds of things for the first time, all kinds of people, all kinds of food, all kinds of history I'm learning about. And, 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 and I'm not distracted by my day to day. Oh, I've got to, I've got to work. I've got to make sure that, the, you know, we, that I get my kid off to where he needs to go. I need to make sure that I do this obligation. Like my only responsibility during while traveling is to, is to have this experience. And so, you know, so much of my work is about these experiences that I'm that I'm having while while on the go. Plus, right. the the other big thing, the, the rest of the year, when I'm not mm-hmm. on a two week vacation, I write a ton of Jewish poetry. Okay. I write uh, I write, you know, I write a poem for every Torah portion every single week. Um, you know, with the idea being that I, I really want to participate in this tradition that that my ancestors have been doing for for a long time just to keep the link in the chain between me and them and the people who come after me me solid so so tons of jewish poetry comes out uh, the rest of the year you know it's funny someone said to me recently michael don't forget your roots and that just really struck me not so much in a very positive way because i don't think that i ever have and it doesn't sound like you've forgotten your roots well, in in Judaism, they make it impossible to do that. It's, it's you know, okay. you know, it's right, like uh, by the way, you know, did, 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 you know, your ancestors suffered and struggled so you could be here. I mean, that's like every Jewish conversation, you know, in a nutshell. So it's uh, and every holiday is a reminder of. Uh, I don't, you know, it, there's a there's a there's a joke, a Jewish joke that's what what's the summary of all Jewish holidays. And the answer is they tried to kill us. They failed. Let's eat. And that's, <laughs> that's definitely oversimplifying it. But, you know, it's like so much of what we do in Judaism is remembering the past. And so much yes. of our text is so specific and says, hey, do this, you know, or else you're, you're going to be screwed. You know, so it's uh, that's that's how it works. <laughs> All right. Please. Share a poem. All right. Well, um, this poem, uh, I, you know, I picked some poems in advance, so they're not, you know, specific to what we've been talking about um, necessarily or, or in the order. But um, this one is called Things I Text to My Wife When She's Away. Um, I don't know. As a, you know, there's kind of a, 
an, an image you can have of, of like a when you live with someone that you really rely on the other person to do the things that they do and and in turn you hope that they do that for you as well so when they go away and you're left alone in your house for whatever period of time uh, this is what it's like things I text to my wife and she's away where do we keep the food do we have a clothes washing machine how do you cook peanut butter what's our kids first name again and how does he get to school do I call a service for that Who's Bill, and why does he want all our money? Can the people on the TV hear me when I talk to them, and why are they ignoring me? There's a coyote outside. Can he sleep in our bed tonight? It's what he wants. Do we have water here, and what's its agenda? I bought a lion. Should I replace the filter on everything? I alphabetized your clothes. You're welcome, sweetie. How does the bed work when you're not in it? I miss you. End poem. Wow. Rick, what is the purpose of that piece? Well, I I wrote it because I thought it would be funny. Some of these things I actually texted to her. Mm-hmm. When she went on a trip a couple months ago, all right. Because I just thought it would be—I thought it would be funny if she got a text that said, "What's our kid's first name again?" <laughs> you know, she, you know. Just—I uh, just think you know. It's just like she's out there and she's getting these things from me and thinking, "Man, I better get back there because it's all falling apart back at home." Um, and after a couple of them, I thought, you know, this makes a pretty good list poem that that I think people will find entertaining. So I, I I think I wrote that to both highlight how important she is in my life as well yes. as to be entertaining. It's very nice. I liked it. You know, all great writers have great writing influences. Who are some of yours? And what makes them great in your eyes? Well, my very first writing influence was the poet Richard Brodigan. He was also a novelist. He wrote in the 70s and, and, and in the early part of the 80s. Um, he's no longer with us. Um, and his writing was uh, simultaneously absurd, beautiful, and funny. And his poetry in particular, there, he has a lot of poems which are short and observational uh, that really influenced me in that I thought, oh, a, a poem can be just three lines and it could be just an observation of something without necessarily a conclusion, without necessarily telling you what you're supposed to think of that. It's just saying, look at that, you know, and, and, they're, and they're funny and they, they shine a light on things that, uh, that, that you might not give a second glance to. Um, and his work really you know, taught me what poetry can be for the first time, I think. Uh, and, and it really resonated with me and, and was a profound influence on how I write work these days. All right. All right. Um, I, I, and I think uh, the, the other poet who I think really has influenced me a lot is the L.A. poet Brendan Constantine, 
uh, who's someone I just knew, had known for many years here in poetry in L.A. and who's developed quite a a body of work and a reputation for being a poet who you you really want to see read and whose work you really want to read. And he's also a really fantastic teacher of poetry. And if anyone has really taken the 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 the, uh, the baton of um, of trying to teach what the very possibilities of poetry can be, it's it's him. And I I'm, I've known him for a long time, and I'm constantly learning things about what's possible in poetry. Mm. Now you stated earlier that you've written a number of books. Now, do you try to be original or to deliver what you feel that your readers want each time you write a book? I I don't know that I do either of those. I think I'm okay. writing what I think is interesting and funny, and okay. Um, okay. or or shining a light on the experiences that I'm having. Um, and I think you know there, there's a lot of, in particular in the travel books, there's a lot of common ways that I write things and observe things and, and imagery that comes back. And I'm, I'm saying it as if, you know, and, and there's a lot of just, there's just a, a lot of absurd, ridiculous things that come along too. And then sometimes I'll, I'll break down the fourth wall and I'll address the reader and I'll, you know, I'll say things like, Oh, and by the way, you know, if in, on this trip, like on my others, I, I'm not in a lot of museums writing a lot, about you know paintings that I'm seeing. So if you want that, you should really check out this other book that I've written. You know, so I'm there. I, I definitely, I, I guess, truthfully, I'm I'm writing aware that people are going to read it and that they may have also read a previous book. You know, so I'm kind of saying, hey, I, I see you out there, and I know that you're reading this, and you're you're kind of part of this experience too. All right, what do you think, Rick? makes your poetic voice different? Well, it's a, it's a lot to assume that it is. You know, okay, all right. To, I, try, I try to approach, you know, with a, you know, I, I can only hope that what I'm writing is something that people enjoy and, and that resonates with them in one way or another. Mm-hmm. I I very often, I write a lot of stuff that I hope is funny and the 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 litmus test is does it make me laugh? I, I have to be honest. I have a lot of experiences where I see something and then think of something which I think is funny, and then start laughing. And then my wife will immediately say something like, "What did you just think up that you thought was hilarious?" You know, <laughs> um, it, almost like an indictment. You know, and so it's you know I I, I think I, I think. I have. I, I think I'm funny a lot of the time, and I, I don't. I'm, I'm not the only. I guess. I guess the issue I have with the question is, I, mm-hmm. I'm not the only one who's funny. You know, I'm not the only okay. one who's writing travel poetry. I'm not the only one who does whatever it is that that I do. And I and I mm-hmm. think that any that that's the case with with anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, but but is when it's my turn to to write or be be heard or read. Do do people enjoy it? Do people think it's it's funny? Do people are are people able to see what I'm seeing? Are people able to if I'm writing something that's serious? Does it does it resonate with them? You know, I can only hope. You know, maybe not more so than anyone else, but at least 
at that moment for them, does it work? You know, I just had a revelation about that particular question when I asked what makes your poetic voice different. An answer could be, it's mine. I'm the only one yeah, who presents my voice. voice. <laughs> you know, I never thought about that after all the times I've asked that question. <laughs> that is mine. This is my world. I, that's the perfect answer to that question. That's the perfect answer to that question. Yes. Please share. I me. take back everything I just said. <laughs> it's mine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. All right. You can have it. All right. Please share a poem, my friend. All right. This one, it's, it's Hanukkah right now. And part of Hanukkah is frying uh, frying foods in oil to remember that uh, remember that a long time ago a little bit of oil lasted a long time, and one of the things that we fry is potatoes, potato pancakes. It's my favorite thing to eat, probably. And this poem is called "Unrequited Potato." The cruelest thing a man can experience is waking up to the smell of potato pancakes only to find the empty pans and realize they were for your son's kindergarten class holiday feast. They are gone. No latkes for you, like the Irish potato famine happened again, localized in your kitchen. End poem. (laughs) Rick, I didn't have time to settle in, and you were done. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I used to host an in-person uh, reading at a at a venue called the Cobalt Cafe. Yes. And uh, you know, I would. I right now it lives on as a virtual series, a Zoom series, mm-hmm. um, six years after the venue closed. Wow. And um, I would. I remember. You know, I would. It was a seven-minute time limit, and so people could get up and be up there for a long time. And there's, mm-hmm. you know, a. a seven, eight-foot step walk to the stage and then a big step up to the stage. So, like, I would introduce the person. I'd go sit down, and, you know, sometimes they would read one short poem and then get get off the stage, and I would joke, you know, my, my butt hardly had time to compress the seat cushion before you were finished, you know. <laughs> That's right. I barely <laughs> – I turned around, and you were done. <laughs> so would you, <laughs> would you please share it again? I'm settled now. Please, please share it again. All right. You want that one again? Okay. Of I'm course, yes. potato. Here we go. All Get right. ready. Yep, I'm ready now. The cruelest thing a man can experience is waking up to the smell of potato pancakes only to find the empty pans and realize they were for your son's kindergarten class holiday feast. They are gone. No latkes for you. Like the Irish potato famine happened again, localized in your kitchen. End poem. <laughs> Sorry. I got it that time. <laughs> do you feel, Rick, that a poem I do. tells you? Oh. Do you feel that a poem tells you what it wants to be? I'm trying to think of all the conversations I've had with my poems, and mostly they just tell me they're hungry. <laughs> um, I, maybe. I, you know, a lot of times the impetus for my poem is a single funny line or a, a single observation, and the whole writing process is getting to that observation 
And so sometimes I, you know, poems end up being really short because I realize I don't really need to provide a lot of context or, or description or anything to get to that, that line. So, you know, I, it's, it, if I, if I have this one idea or one funny, you know, set of words I want to get out there and that's the, the punchline of the poem or the culmination of the poem, it's, you know, how do I get there um, as efficiently as possible? So when we do get to that line, everyone knows everything they need to know. Um, and, and I'm not saying too much so that it, it belabors the, 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 the point or, you know, I'm not, I'm not forgetting about the economy of language and, and just getting there as quickly as possible. So I think, yes, sometimes poems tell me where they want to go. Sometimes not though. Sometimes uh, uh, it's it, I have no idea where I'm going in the poem, and, it, and there's just been it. The, the poem begins with a thought, and I just try to see where I'm going to go with it and where I end up. And I'm often surprised myself with, with where where it ends. You know, humor is very important. I love to laugh. I'm not sure if you can pick that up, but I love to laugh. I mean, whoo, do I love to laugh? But sometimes I laugh so that I don't cry. So when you think about writing humorous pieces, why do you write humorous pieces? Why, is that imp- why does that intrigue you? Why has it intrigued you all these years to write humorous pieces, funny pieces? I, well, there's a lot of reasons. I, I, I love comedy. I love okay. laughing okay. myself. I love watching stand-up comedians um, make things funny. I, I consider myself a student of comedy. I'm, I'm not a stand-up comic myself, though many people ask if I am. Mm. Um, but I, I, when I'm watching comedy, I, I, I feel like I'm watching it as a student of comedy. Um, and I think it really resonates with people. And I think uh, as, as brilliant, as deep, as powerful as, as a serious poem can be, I mm-hmm. think people love funny poems um, more even. And so, you know, I, I want, I, maybe, maybe it's, it's just because I really want to do well when I'm in front of an audience and when I send okay. the work out, you know, and, okay. and, and maybe that's a, that's a, a selfish kind of reason behind it. But I, but really I think it's just because that's what I enjoy the most. That's mm-hmm. what I enjoy to receive the most. And if I have the skill to create that as well, you know, it just that really informs my artistic sensibility. I love wow. it. That's very well stated. You know, I'm wondering, is a poem letting your guard down or building a wall? I couldn't it be both? You know, it could be, it's, uh, you you could be you could be quite revealing in a poem. You could be telling things explicitly or, or with metaphor that uh, that no one knows until they read that poem and, and in a way you're really letting your your guard down it with, with that with those revelations with those reveals at the same time you you could be writing in you know very specifically a, a guarded statement that's communicating you know something is none of your business you know that could be the theme of the poem you could be creating a wall in a poem, if you want. Uh, so I, I really think it could be both. All right. Please share a poem, my friend. 
All right. Well, I have, I have a new book out. It's called I Am Not Writing a Book of Poems in Hawaii. It's All a right. book of poems I wrote in Hawaii uh, two summers ago. Um, it's it's the latest of my travel poetry books, and I've got a, a few few poems from it on cue. This is a short poem, so, so don't get too comfortable. Okay, <laughs> okay I won't <laughs> We're we're sitting in a restaurant, uh, and uh, this poem, my wife and I, my son, and her name is Addie, and the poem is called, At One Point, Addie is Replaced by a Bird. At one point, I look up, and instead of Addie, there is a bird sitting on the pillow where I last saw her. I'd always thought this might happen. Thankfully, There are no HOA prohibitions about birds back at home. I don't know if this bird looks hungry, and I know for a fact that Addie just ate. End poem. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) All right. Uh... That's a true story, by the way. (laughs) Is it really? we we were in a restaurant uh mm-hmm. in, in Honolulu having breakfast and um I you know I do a lot of writing in my phone and mm-hmm. the restaurant kind of had a, had an open open you know wide open door space like a double wide doors the big space between the outside and where we were sitting uh and uh I I looked up from my phone and instead of Addie there was a bird it's <laughs> like oh man <laughs> well, how's this going to work? You know, <laughs> Moncal's column stated that poetry is like a canvas; you can paint any picture with it. Do you believe that, man? Oh, absolutely, and I think that applies to any any art as well. I think that. Uh, you can have. You're an artist of any kind. You're a, you're a, a, a painter. You're a poet. You're a drawer. You're a novel writer. You're a collage artist. Um, and 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 if, let's say all of those people are in the same room and they they get an they all get are given the same idea or they all come up with the same idea. They can go to their blank their unique blank canvases and 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 create whatever they want with that idea. I mean, it's if, if art isn't a blank canvas, I don't know what what is. Please share with me the titles of at least five of your poems from any of your books or any of the ones that you've decided to read tonight. Just the titles. Just the titles. Okay. Yes. Uh, <laughs> five random poems. <laughs> uh, I, I've got a poem I'm going to read in a little bit called When I Got Down with the Christ. Okay. Wow. Um, I've got one uh, uh, in this book called No Singing Fish. <laughs> um, I've got one called On My Eventual Death. Um, there's an old one called Shower Explanations for Cats. Was that five? <laughs> <laughs> that might have been three. It may have been four. Oh, no. It was three. <laughs> <laughs> there's one called, I'm going to read later, called What is a Pupusa? Um, <laughs> well, and then there's the one week. called "We Walk by a Shirt Store" called Jimmy Choo Choo. There you go. That's got to be a fun. All right, all right. Uh, <laughs> the reason I asked that question is that what role should a title play for a poem? 
what's the purpose of a title? Why is it not untitled? And untitled, you know, they're good too. I love these questions so much, uh, Michael, and there's so many things I don't know that I've thought about, or, or at the very least, have I heard asked before. So I'm, I'm really digging this. Um, well, thank you. I, I think, again, a, 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 a title can, can, can be so many things. You know, sometimes all, on these travel books, I'll write all these poems, hundreds of pages of poems, a lot wow. of them really short and without titles. None of them have titles, you know, until I go back. Um, and want to put them together in a book, and I'll figure, okay, i got to add titles to all these. Um, and sometimes I'll take the first line of the poem out of the poem, and that becomes the title instead of mm-hmm. it being the first line of the poem. Okay. You know, so it's providing, it's providing the, the, the set induction, the, the, it's, the prompt, the context for the rest of, of the poem. You know, it's the first line. It used to be the first line of the poem, and now it's the title. Uh, and then sometimes I'll I'll find a title. Uh, you know, I'll write the poem. I, I rarely write titles first, I should say, as well. You know, I'll find a line in the poem or a theme that that kind of makes sense that 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 gives you in the title maybe what you're what you're about to experience is going to be this theme that's described in the title. So, you know, I think it can provide context for a poem. You know, sometimes folks use language or imagery in their title that's not at all in the poem, and, and it's, it's, it becomes a puzzle. You're trying to figure out, well, what is, the, what, what are we, what is revealed in the title that, that I need to learn about in the poem somehow? So mm-hmm. it can really serve many purposes, I think. Oh, wow. Well, please share one more before we take a break. All right. Well, I'm going to read another poem from my my book of poems in Hawaii. Uh, This poem is, uh, we we took a tour around the island of Oahu, and the person who was our tour guide on this bus, his name was Jack, and it turned out uh, he, he, just by random coincidence, that he used to be a slam poet, and so we became friends and talked about poetry, and when I had the publication reading for the book, he came on and, and read, so... Uh, This is for him and that experience. Um, It's called Jack. I met Jack today and so much of Oahu, its hats and its blowholes, its shrimp farms and bird sanctuaries, its macadamias and just the heads of its sea turtles. The Pacific and I became one. I saw the valley where the plains first breached the land I had nuts and coffee and sugar cane. I had fruit, the names of which only my wife could remember. I circled the island with Jack, who told us everything he knew. This was the day that Jack built, Jack of the land. End poem. You know, I enjoy listening to you read. You've been in this business a long time. What do you think is the relationship between your speaking voice and your written voice? You can answer it after the break. All right? How's that sound? Okay. All right. Here we go.
We are back. I am Michael Anthony Ingram. I'm here with the one and only Rick Lupert. Rick, I asked you a question, my friend. Do you have an answer for me? Yeah, I do. I, the relationship between the speaking voice and the, the words on the page or, or the poems themselves. Uh, yes. I think, I, I think that I think they can exist without each other, but oh, wow. I think there's so much value to reading your poems out loud. I think that it, you know, one of the best things you can do as a poet to learn about your own work is to read it out loud, especially in front of other people, which is why I find open mics to be so value, valuable. Uh, for yourself, you know, when you're reading things out loud for the first time, you're learning how it sounds when other people read it. You might find that a line break comes in a weird place and it forces you to pause when you didn't want to or or a line break is needed where there where there isn't a, a pause or something that would really be valuable for for how it sounds uh, you know it, part of saying poems out loud your voice is how people are are hearing them and you hear people react hopefully when you wanted them to um, and in the way that you wanted them to, you know, if something was meant to be funny, did they laugh? If you read something that 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 you thought was powerful, did they react in a way that uh, that sounds like it it landed on them powerfully? And if they didn't, what does that tell you about about your writing? You know, or that that could be changed. I don't mean your writing overall, but you know, that could be changed about that piece. I think it's it's really it's crucial, and I. I think it really behooves the poet to take time with how they read their work outside. There's a there's a, a poet who used to be based in Los Angeles, who's now in New York, I think, uh, named Nancy Agabian, who was mm-hmm. on the scene here in, in L.A. when I first started reading poetry. And the way she read poems was so intoxicating. And what I, re- I learned from her is, like, she would pause between phrases or words at a particular time. Uh, you know, a pause is, is nothing, right? You're not saying anything. But the space that it gave to accentuate what was just said, what I found incredibly powerful. And I learned so much um, that when you're reading from that and when, when you're reading your work, uh, you, it, it's not about getting, getting to the end, you know. It's about the actual process of reading it, you know. Now, some people say, oh, I'm at an open mic. I've got three minutes. If I read really fast, I can get more poems in. You know, well, that's not serving your work that well. You know, it's not about trying to get as much in. It's about, it's about doing the things that you have the time for in the most, uh, you know, impactful way possible that serves those, those words that you're reading. And they, they deserve breathing space. They deserve, they deserve pauses so people can react to what you what you say so people have time to receive it so i think there's such a profound relationship between the spoken word and the written word now here's a slight slant on that question is a poem or the poet the focus of a performance um 
my my initial thought is I have no idea. <laughs> but, that's okay. That's okay. Um, but, <laughs> I don't either. But I, I suppose that, again, <laughs> I know. you know, a lot of these questions you're asking, you know, they really lend themselves to not having definitive answers. I mean, it, 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 again, I it could be both. You know, mm-hmm. if 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 there's a you know, hopefully the art that you've created uh, stands on its own, and and you, you're up there to share it. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I'm sure you've been to readings where there's been amazing poems read, but the person who read them didn't read it in a way that was all that great, or it was kind of dry, yeah, or you know, they, so they they sped through it. And so, in that case, there, there's you know, there's the the, the audience, the experience, the 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 uh, the focus really is well, when are they going to be done? <laughs> you know, yes, and then there's yes. all, on the other on the other end of that coin, there are poets who are so good at their performance um, um, and at their reading that they could get up and read anything. You know, they could read the phone book, and you would love it so much just because they're so good at at the way that they do it. You know, mm-hmm. and of course the dream is is having both having having the poet who really knows how to read their work and really knows how to write, you know. So um, it, it could be any of those things, I think. Yes. You know, it's funny. When I started sharing poetry, I view myself as being a performance poet, spoken word artist. I felt that my work was so different because I was so wrapped up in the emotion of it that it was truly an out-of-body experience, and it's always been that way. But I always felt like I stood out that I was other in a sense because I was so different from what I witnessed. So I had an opportunity to attend a poetry reading, and the poet was reading about the Spanish influenza. And sitting behind us was someone, and they were snoring so loudly. And when the program was over, he turned out to be the person selling her books. And I said, you know what? (laughs) I'll never put anybody to sleep. (laughs) They may not like it, (laughs) but I will never put you to sleep. And she had good work, too. So I don't know why I told that story, but it just kind of reminded me of that, that you would want it to be both the poet and the performance work intertwined somehow. Sometimes it's hard to do. What do you think? It's hard to do. I, both they're, they're different skills, right? Mm-hmm. You you want to be you want to you want to you want to write good, and uh, and you also want to be someone who services your work well by by reading it well. Mm-hmm. So you know you you I, I, you need both, and it's worth putting thought into both, so you do them both as good as possible. Yeah. Um, you know, I think to be a good writer. You need to do two things. You need to you need to write a lot. You need to that which AKA that's in other words that's practice. You need to practice your art to be good at it. And the other thing that you need to do is to study it. And to study it that means you're reading a lot of other people's work because you need to you need to see what other people are doing. You need to you know understand what you like and don't like and how they do it to figure out. How to how or whether to incorporate that in your own voice, and and you could say the same thing for for people in reading their poetry out loud for performers or readers of poetry, you you know you need to do it a lot yourself in order to to get good at it to practice it, and you need to see a lot of other people doing it because you know you'll see what works and doesn't work 
you know, for you. And it doesn't mean you need to copy anyone's style in terms of writing or reading, but but you sure learn a lot from 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 exposing yourself to other people doing it. I agree. So how would you classify your ability to write then, to write poetry as a creative gift or a creative art? I, I want to say art because I, I, I believe I'm engaged in the art form of writing poetry. Okay. And I, I think, I believe that anyone has the gift to do any art form that they want. Mm-hmm. And it's just whether they choose to do it or not. Um, and I, I think that, that just that having that gift doesn't mean that you're good at it when you start doing it. Um, you know, I, I think the gift really is liking to do it. Like if you're a poet, it's because you like writing poetry. Um, mm-hmm. And that's what the gift is. It's finding, some, finding something that you, you enjoy doing. Um, and getting good at it um, is a whole other process of, of what I was just talking about. It's by you know, practicing doing it and exposing yourself to other people doing it. Now, do you think you were meant to be a poet? I don't know. I, you know, I, 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 I really don't know. I, I think I, uh, it's something I enjoy doing. You know, a lot of people really want me to go into comedy, and, and I, perhaps oh, wow. that's what I'm meant to do. And I've just been too lazy to go to comedy open mics. You know, mm-hmm. yes. you know maybe that's what I'm meant to do. And uh, and so I'm channeling my comedy through through some of the poetry I'm writing. Um, was I meant to do it? I don't know. I, you know, maybe I, I'm certainly enjoying doing it and finding some appreciation out there uh, when I when I do it. So so perhaps so. So what surprises you most then, Rick, about being a poet? You know, I, I think what surprises me a lot is how many people, in particular in poetry, because I don't see this in a lot of other art forms or communities. I, you know, I think we all want to succeed. We all hope that our whatever we're doing is resonates with other people and does well. I, I, I feel like sometimes I see in poetry um, people who are more in it for themselves and what they can accomplish um, rather than the other half of it, which is because you love the art form and not only do you want to create it yourself, but you want to experience the best of it from other people. And I I find a lot, uh, in particular in the open mic community, that people really are there because they want their opportunity to, to do it as opposed to, you know, being there because they want to see other people do it as well. Wow. And, that, and that, that's a problem. Please share a point, please. All right. Well, this is a new one that I just got published on Silver Birch Press's uh, 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 poem series. They publish a poem every day on a particular theme, and the theme that they're publishing uh, last month and this month is One Good Memory. And this one is about the first time I went to see the musical Jesus Christ Superstar. Um, I already mentioned I'm a Jewish person. um, And this poem is called, When I Got Down with the Christ. When I was older than a boy, but younger than the man I am today, I went to see a high school production of Jesus Christ Superstar. 
I was not in high school, but a friend of mine was, and she was playing a soul sister or a dark angel, or honestly, I don't remember. It was a hundred years ago. I wanted to say Death Eater there, but then I remembered that's from Harry Potter. As a Jew, I was not down with the Jesus. I didn't know any of the music, the story, and had a general sense that he was not my God. Somehow I found myself in the center of the front row, a little Jewish man alone at a high school with Romans and parents and Christ. Judas came out first. I didn't know enough to have heard his name in pop culture. But now, whenever it gets mentioned, I have deep memories of that guy and what he sang. Then, what's the buzz? This was rock and roll. This was the concert I never knew I wanted to be at. At a certain point, me at this high school with these people in the last throes of their childhood almost pulled me out of my seat to mosh pit in the space between the front row and the orchestra. To say this musical, this high school production was better than Cats is to say <laughs> that there is air in the air. Since then, I've seen it 30 silver pieces worth of times. The film, stage productions of every size. It's always good. That's the way he wrote it. I had to put on the soundtrack to write this. I'm dancing between every stanza. Half of my knowledge of history comes from musicals. I'm an expert, and I know if this whole Judaism thing doesn't work out, I'm going to ride into Jerusalem on the back of this sacred rock and roll. End poem. That was powerful. <laughs> that was exceptionally, extremely, extremely powerful. And I remember Jesus Christ Superstar, Jesus Christ Superstar, and then Yvonne Elman singing, I don't know how to love him. Am I correct? You are 100% correct. <laughs> and just, when I, I have to be honest with you, Michael. Just yes. when I, the music in that, I, I'm so Jewish. I mean, don't get me wrong. But when I just just thinking about the music mm-hmm. in that musical brings me to tears. Not even hearing it because it's so good, you know. Oh, what about it stands out? What about it made it different? I I I don't know. You know, I I'd never seen a rock. You know, when I thought of musicals. I, I I was, you know, you think, you know, Paint Your Wagon and Carousel and Sound yes. of Music, all these classical sounding things. I'd never seen or heard anything like this. I went to this play because my friend was in it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I was 19. She was like 17. Uh, she was in it. And, you know, I showed up to this high school and I, I went to the ticket office and the only ticket available was Front Row Center. I mean, I'm recapping the poem here, but... There was something about like how powerful this music was. I was not prepared for it. I didn't know what to expect. It was among the best rock and roll. And there's something about the way people write music, especially in musicals. Music is already super powerful, right? You know, mm-hmm. and yes. when you find songs that resonate with you, it's um, it's 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 powerful. And music can make you cry and laugh and want to dance. There's just something about it that's unspoken. And 
there's just something about the way that Andrew Lloyd Webber and Tim mm-hmm. Rice put put that together that it's it's just so powerful. Um, and and all of it, you know, the the music, the lyrics, it's it's you know, wow. it it make it it does it for me. I can it tell. Me up out of my seat, it makes me weep. I can tell. I can tell. I can tell. You know, we talked earlier about accessibility, and my question to you is, how hard should you work to solve a poem? Some poems. You know, I, I've abandoned poems that I, I opened, it was funny, I opened up, a, I was going through poems, uh, maybe to get ready for this even, mm-hmm. like, and I've got my, my poetry folder on my computer, and there's all the titles, so I, you know, I typically want to, you know, see what I've written most recently to make sure that I'm, I'm reading the newest things in case anyone is coming back to see me read, I don't want to read all the same old stuff all the time, and I get really excited about the new stuff. So I'm just opening up the new files and, well, what's this one? What's this one? And I opened up a a poem which had a title, and it was just a blank page. (laughs) Like I I put the title down, and then I never wrote it. Like I never solved this poem. I couldn't even get the first line down. But there's the document just waiting for me to come back to it someday. (laughs) You know? um, So, you know, if it's – I'm kind of a, I think Allen Ginsberg said first thought, best thought, and I'm a free form writer. And, mm-hmm. and very often if I don't get the poem out, like within the five, 10 minutes, like I'll, 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 I'll leave it and I won't come back to it. You know, so it's, it's, and, and that to me might mean that this wasn't a solvable poem for me, or at least for that, that moment. So I don't know that it's important to solve the poem. Um, but I, you know, other people, might have a completely different answer, you know, and, you know, some people, you know, Walt Whitman worked on Leaves of Grass his entire life, you know, so, mm-hmm. it, and, and I don't know when he was done that he figured that he solved it, but, you know, it, sometimes we come back to things and, and, and want, and realize that, that we're fine at the time, but then we, we say, ah, I'm going to change this. I'm going to, I'm going to do something different. And I think it's okay that we, do that. So I think it's fine if we don't solve the poem. I think it's fine if we solve the poem. I think it's fine if we come back to the poem five years later and and solve it a different way. Well, you know, that that's a perfect segue into this question. You may have already answered it just now, but I'm going to throw it there again. Some poets claim that a poem is like a living creature. Once it's out there, there's not much you can do to correct or improve it, while others edit meticulously, not leaving much from the original draft form. So, again, what is your take on the editing of poems? Yeah, I mean, my, my first answer to that is, is, is the Allen Ginsberg quote. Okay. It's, you know, first thought, first thought mm-hmm. best thought, you know, and I, yes. I, I tend to not do a lot of editing. And I'm not against editing. Again, every every person has their own process and 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 does what they need to do to service the poem. I you know I I tend to think in the economy of language, and I tend to edit. You know, the editing most of the editing happens while writing it. You know, so by the time I'm done with a first draft, it's it's pretty much there's not going to be another draft. With the exceptions being like if uh, when I write the travel poems. You know, I, when I talked about earlier where I'm writing an entire book, I'm, I'm literally tapping it into my phone, you know, in the pages document uh, application while on this trip. So when I get home, I've got an entire 
book of poems in a document. Um, but in that case, just because of the way that the technology works, there's tons of typos and autocorrects and, and you know, words that I didn't mean because they were changed by autocorrect or whatever. So a lot of editing happens in that kind of stuff, where I re- which I call, which I think of more of as cleaning up, you know, and putting it into, you know, I might not have added the line breaks because I'm, you know, I've got one minute between being at this place and that place, and I need to get just get this down so I don't forget it, you know, and I have to go back and add the line breaks and and, and make it make it right. All right, please share another piece. Okay, well, um, I uh, I have a, another book called uh, God Wrestler. Um, it's um, I write a poem for the Torah portion every week. Uh, it's Jewish tradition to to read the Torah a particular section of the Torah every week and then think about it. Um, And so I decided I was going to do that and write a poem. And that was going to be the way I thought about it. And I've been doing this every week for years. The first set of these is collected in a book called God wrestler. And whenever I do a reading, um, I always read a poem from it and I have to read the poem for that week's Torah portion. So this week's Torah portion is called me cats, which I think means well, actually, I'm not even going to guess because I, I think I might have it wrong. I don't want to get Hebrew right. wrong or live on the radio. But um, this is, we're in the middle of the story of Joseph, um, and this is about that. Uh, if there ever was a series of Torah portions worthy of binge studying, this is it. Cliffhanger after cliffhanger. The story of Joseph, episode two. Our hero in jail, where we left him last week. Still scarred from the pit, his best friend, the butler, gone. Things aren't looking great. It's a real page scroller. Our new antagonist, Pharaoh, it's like an origin story. Not such a bad guy at this point, but he's the pod-racing young Anakin Skywalker to his Vader-like descendants. It's going to be trouble. Right here in Egypt City, he's dreaming of cows. Joseph, still in jail, still wearing the pajamas of the house of Potiphar, happens to be an expert in dreams about cows, saves the day, wheat for everyone. Pharaoh, like an emperor Palpatine, no one yet suspects, gives Joseph the keys to the kingdom. Joseph, in one of the best relationship plot twists since his dad married the wrong woman, marries the daughter of the woman who accused him of rape. Soon, little Joseph's running around the kingdom, and Mrs. Potiphar can't say a thing. And this is where the writers, or writer, if you believe such things, makes their money. Focusing on character development, Joseph's brothers, in search of Egypt wheat, find themselves bowing in front of a man They do not know they know. The youngest accused of stealing a silver goblet and the credits roll. Another cliffhanger. That's how they keep you coming back. You only have to wait till next week. You might remember the outcome from last season. We do this every year. But no spoilers, please. For some people, it's their very first time. End time. I need a moment to to let that one sink in and 
it just brings to mind this particular question. You know, Rick, there's so much happening in our world. The good, the bad, the ugly, as well as the indifferent. What do you view as being the role of a poet in modern day society? Well, the, the question puts a lot of responsibility on, on the poet to, to okay. have a responsibility. And I do believe um, that an artist can, can be engaged in doing art just for the sake of doing the art, just for their okay. own enjoyment of what they're, they're creating. Um, mm-hmm. And if other people come along and enjoy that art, if the poet even chooses to share it, um, then that's, that's a bonus. Um, I, I think we as we as artists or we as poets to focus on the question you asked is, you know, our job is to in, interpret whatever it is that we're seeing um, in our in our poems. And if people learn from that, great. Um, if they enjoy it, great. Um, and if it doesn't resonate with them, then maybe that poem wasn't for them, or maybe the poet the poem just doesn't work on 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 anyone else's terms but the poet's. Um, mm-hmm. I know during the previous president's administration, I wrote, wrote a lot of poems directly responding to things which he was saying, which I found incredibly egregious yes. and that I wanted to shine a light on. And I would mm-hmm. write those poems and immediately post them because I wanted to, you know, make a statement and let people know, you know, you know where I stood as well as to, you know, hopefully for other people to uh, see what I wrote and go, yes, that puts into words what I was thinking. And, and, and it's helpful and comforting to me to know that someone else feels the same way about that thing. Mm-hmm. So to answer your question in a nutshell, uh, <laughs> none at all or possibly the greatest role available. All right, I like it. I like it. <laughs> I like it. Because I plan to ask you as a follow up to tell me about a poem you are proud of writing but afraid to share for fear of misinterpretation. So I'm sure when you wrote those poetry poetry about a previous POTUS, there could have potentially been the possibility of misinterpretation. Correct me if I'm wrong. Well, I, I don't know. I was I, I was very specific and direct in what I wrote. Okay. So okay. like I, I would say in those poems especially, there wasn't a lot of wiggle room to know how I felt. <laughs> you know? Okay, all right. Yes. Um, yeah. All right. Well so, you know <laughs> Rick, we've reached because we go we're almost gonna run out of time. I I'm enjoying talking to you. I really am. Yeah, this is fun. You're making me think about things in a different way. I like that. But we've reached a time in the program that I view as being really important. As I shared prior to the show, I view it as being the mini poetry concert where you share three or four of your pieces back to back, no interruptions from me. Rick, you know the stage. The stage is yours. All righty. Well, um, I, uh, I I have two poems left that I uh, had, sure. had prepared, um, and I'm mm-hmm. going to see if I can find one more so that way I can, I can round it out um, and, and make it, make it three. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, here's one I just found out. <clears throat> just a funny thing. I, I realized 
that poem I was talking about that was just the title, mm-hmm. I um I had put that in my set list, not realizing that I hadn't even written the poem yet. And that that was it. so that's not going to take very long. That one is what is a pupusa, and that's the whole poem. I never got to writing what what a pupusa was, but here's one called I don't want to go long. I don't want to go long. Thank you for having me. I don't want to go too long. I don't want to overstay my welcome. I just want to go long enough that our hair falls off. I only want to go long enough that our hair lying on the floor turns gray. I only want to go long enough that the dinosaurs come back and say, hey, where is everybody? I only want to go long enough that the taste of me on your tongue is visible to your neighbors when you go home. I want them to smell it. I want them to tell you they want to make a pie with it. I want it to be the centerpiece of your block party. That's how long I want to go. I don't want to go too long, just long enough. Thank you for having me. This next one is called, this is a newer poem. It's called How Many Times, and I wrote it um, at the beginning of the Ukraine war. I don't remember a time when war wasn't on the tips of everyone's tongues. Every page of the history books is littered with it. Even our ancient text tells us who to go to war with. In the recent memory of our grandparents, there was the war to end all wars. And soon after that came the next one. They've made movies and TV shows about the intermediary wars. The peace and love of the 60s went hand-in-hand with Vietnam. And then there's the modern wars that have gone on so long we forgot they were happening. What a surprise when they ended and people were mad for some reason. This intrusion into Ukraine may be my 13-year-old's first war, or at least the first one he gets to experience from the beginning. I remember when my people left Russia. It seems the czar is still at it. He wears a modern suit now. He tells cameras and phones lies about what isn't really his. He sits in an office far from where the cannonballs flung. And I've got one more. All right. Uh, this one is uh, from... My my new book, uh, I am not writing a book of poems in Hawaii. <laughs> and uh, it's uh, you can check out, you, if you're interested in that book, you can go to my website, poetrysuperhighway.com, um, and, uh, and slash Hawaii, it'll take you right to the book. Um, I should mention also, I've got another, uh, if you're interested in my Jewish poetry, I have a whole separate Jewish poetry website called which is jewishpoetry.net and and every Jewish poem I've ever written is free free to read there if you'd like and there's a link to buy my book God Wrestler if you're so inclined. This is one of the last poems in my in my Hawaii poetry book. Um I think this was written on uh last night or the second to last night um in the resort that we were staying um, in the bar, listening to music, it's called At the Olelo Room. 
One of them plays a left-handed 12-string guitar. The other, a stand-up bass. They're standing up behind plexiglass screens, as is the custom of our time. For a Hawaiian duo, they play a lot of classic English tunes. We learn that's because that's what Table 33 wants. But we here in Table Back of the Room want to hear more Israel Kamakawiwa Ole. Our waiter says the song we shazammed is one of his favorites. Ours too now. They play something Hawaiian with a strumming that you have no choice but to internalize. They play I Can't Help Falling in Love with You again, and I Can't Help But Weep. Addie's drink is too sweet, which she communicates by moving her lips back and forth in a way that I didn't know was possible. All we needed was that last song, It's Ten O'Clock, which might as well be a million o'clock the way we feel. Our sleeping child in another room beckons. Thank you, Michael. Wow. You know, there's so many more questions that I want to ask you. That's why I want you to come back for round two. But I will ask you these final questions. You've worked with so many people over the years. What advice would you give to poets about finding their voice? What would you tell them? I, I think what I, when I said earlier is, is uh, about practicing um, and exposing yourself to as much poetry as possible is the best advice. I, I saw a poet uh, say recently and this really resonated with me because I've been saying it in one way or, or another, that if you write poetry but you don't read a lot of poetry, that mm-hmm. your poetry isn't going to be very good. Okay. Um, you know, there's, there's two sides to being an artist. It's, it's making the art. You have to do that as much as possible, even if a lot of what you're doing is, is not your best work. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you need to keep writing as much as possible. You have to be engaged in the art form. And the other half of that is exposing yourself to as much um, of that art that other people are doing. Um, you, just, you have to read so much other poetry. Again, that's going to help inform your voice. You're going to hear things or read things that, that you love and, and, that, and the way that they did it makes sense to you. And you're going to incorporate that in the way that you write. Um, and you're going to see and hear things that you don't like. And then that's going to teach you when you write not to do that. Um, mm-hmm. So it's it's fifty fifty. You have to you have to write as much as you expose yourself to other people's writing. You know, it's funny. You know, I talked earlier about uh, the the uh, the event that I attended where the person was sleeping behind me, and what you just said is so powerful. I may not put you to sleep. But are you understanding what I'm saying? Does it translate to the page? And I need to I need to continue working on that. I really do. So thank you for that. That's a, a wonderful reminder. You know, you've done so much, so much, and you've worked so much in the field. How has your work evolved or changed as you've aged 
as a poet? Well, I look back at my earliest stuff that I wrote, you know, barely after being a teenager, and there's a lot of a lot more shock value, sophomoric humor uh, mm-hmm. in it than what I write today. And I, I learned in reading that poetry over the years that when I was a kid, that people thought that was funny, you know, and it really worked with a certain audience. And as I got older and was reading it to older audiences, you know, some people thought, you know, that's a little, you know, that's a little sophomoric that you're still talking about or thinking about those kind of things. So I, I would say I've grown up a bit. And okay. It's not that I it's not that I regret the stuff that I used to write or don't find it funny or whatever, but it's it's not my my voice from it's not today's voice, you know what I mean? Yes, I do. You know, and finally, does knowing that your poems are published and out there in the world validate you being a poet or are you satisfied that it is out of your system? I, well, I enjoy the validation. It, it's, it's, you know, I, again, I, I think the primary impetus for you being a writer or any artist is, is that you have to love doing it and you have to love what you create. That's mm-hmm. number one. If that's not there, um, nothing else matters and you should stop doing it, <laughs> you know? Okay. Um, yes. If, if, you get, if you get so lucky that other people enjoy it too, um, and, and that validation comes from just them hearing you read it at an open mic um, and they say, I really like that. Um, mm-hmm. Or it comes from the validation that some you submit your work somewhere and, and another editor looks at it and goes, yes, I, I like that and I'm going to publish it. You know, that's, that's amazing. That's wonderful. That's an incredible validation. And, and it's, and, and I love it. I, I really, enjoy, I submit my work, not as much as other people, but mm-hmm. you know, I, it's, if someone, if I'm lucky enough for someone to read it and say, "Hey, um, I love that," and if we're going to publish it, it makes me feel really good. But that's not my end end goal. And you should know, most of my books, I I create, I design, and I release myself. Um, oh, just because okay. I, I, I I want it to be on my, my timeline, my terms, you know. And, and I think there's pluses and minuses to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, if it resonates with other people. Um, if people like it, then and then it works, you know. So it, the end result is not the validation from other people. It's the it's, but it, I do enjoy it. Hey, you know, I want to thank you for joining me. This has been an incredible hour and fifteen minutes. <laughs> you're an incredible man. Oh man, I, you're you were so much fun. I, again, like I said earlier, um, you there, there's so many things that you asked that I. Um, that I had not thought about or not, you know, uh, and mm-hmm. I know there's some, if anyone's ever heard me give an interview, undoubtedly there's some things that I said that I've said before, um, right. you know, but, but there are definitely a lot of things that you asked me that, that, that I, that forced me to, to think in new ways and to come up with, with things to say. And I really appreciate, uh, I, I appreciate your time. I appreciate you having me and, uh, and for really engaging with me in this conversation. Well, like I said, I want you to come back. I want us to establish a relationship where we <laughs> where we talk, hopefully, and share. And you're a good man. You're a good man. 
All right. Where do you go from here? That's the question. That's the last thing. Where do you go from here? Well, immediately I'm going to go to dinner downstairs. So I've been getting some messages from <laughs> okay. my wife saying, when am I going to be done with this, with this radio? All right, thing? right. <laughs> That's about as far ahead as I'm That's as far as, okay. I'm thinking. Works for me. Works for me. Well, all right then. <laughs> Thank you. Thank the listening audience. We've talked with a legend tonight or today, wherever you are in the world. As I share with everyone every time we're together, let poetry ring somewhere throughout the land. All right, everybody. Take care, Rick. Happy holidays to you. You too. Thank you. Yes. Quintessential Listening Poetry Online Radio is available on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. You can also check out the website at qlpor.com.